Jim D'Angelo, who uh, has been an elder here in the past, uh, last a year ago, about a year ago, they, he and Sandra retreated to the sunshine down in Tucson. And uh, so uh, uh, they, Jim has been up here, came back up here to help with the baby, um, which we will, who we will introduce later. Um, uh, Geneva had her baby on Tuesday, so, but we'll do an official introduction a little bit later. But uh, Jim, when he came up here and at the end of August, says, so you want me to preach sometime? And I says, absolutely. And so uh, we selected a couple of dates, and then this one is the one that ended up being the one for him. So he is going to continue. He's going to start out Malachi chapter 2. So I want to pray for him as we begin. So Father, I thank you for my brother. Lord, may you just take and give him great ease in um, what he presents. Father, may he be overwhelmed with a sense of your guidance. And Lord, may you anoint the words, not as being his words, but Father, as being your thoughts, your heart for us from this very, very important passage. So Father, we commit this time to you. May our hearts be open to what you want us to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank, thank you, Martin. Well, In my heart, I have a very special place for this church and this body. It brings tears to my eyes when I think about the profoundness of the experiences I've had here and, and the joy I have of being back and having the privilege of speaking and preaching to you today. It's, it's interesting when you do that, you know, it's, it's one of the things you start to prepare and you, you push into God and you try to understand really what the message that he really has for all of you. And, and when, whenever I do that, I find that it's primarily for me. So I get a huge benefit out of it because I realize that preaching the word is really first and foremost preaching to yourself and realizing that there's some uh, unique aspects to how God opens that up to me. And I hope as we uh, go through this that uh, you will also have that sense of God speaking to you about what authentic worship, authentic relationship is really all about. Uh, but before I get too, too involved in that, uh, one of the things that I am is I'm Geneva's dad. Now, it used to be Geneva, when she came here, everybody said, oh, you're Jim's daughter. But now it's, oh, you're Geneva's father, I see. <laughs> so that's changed a lot. And I have a picture I wanted to show I know Martin's going to introduce all this a little bit later, but I have a picture that I took at the hospital. I don't have Mama in there because she's right next to it, but I don't think she'd like me to show you a picture of her at that point in time. <laughs> That's uh, Jabram Paul Mooney, born at 8 pounds, 15 and a half ounces, or for, you, for, for all those of you that like to round, it's 9 pounds. Uh, big boy. And uh, we're real, they're doing well. Uh, the baby's doing great, and Geneva's doing great, the family's doing great. However, I will attest to the fact that John Mooney is a little light on sleep. <laughs> kind of goes with the territory, doesn't it? All right. Uh, I'd like to just open up in prayer here for a minute, and then, uh, and then we'll get into the Word. I'm going to start with some summary about what... what Malachi, the first part of Malachi is about. So let's uh, pray. Lord, I pray that you'll just open our hearts to your truths, 
that we see and understand your mind on things, that we understand your character, a character of love, but a character also of purpose in what it's all about. That you would reveal to us what each of us is to learn out of this, Lord, that our hearts would be open to those truths. And primarily, Lord, to the uniqueness of having a relationship with you, a living God, who participates and is active in our lives each and every day, primarily through the power of the cross, through Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, which dwells within us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. I want to give a little bit of a historical perspective. Malachi, which means messenger, um, was alive sometime. They're not sure because there's no reference in the text about when they give a, a historical reference as to when he was uh, talking. But they think it was somewhere between 440 and 420 years before Christ. And this is about 100 years after they returned to their homeland from, from their captivity. That's with the Babylonians and that whole thing. And what is kind of interesting about this is that the Israeli people are not into idolatry because Malachi doesn't talk about worshiping idols. He's talking, he talks to them about their authentic worship of him. So it, it, it kind of puts it into a context that, that they are a nation of God's people. They recognize that. They recognize they're a nation of God's people. But what do they re- understand and, 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 and comprehend about God himself other than that identity? Um, and Malachi most likely presented this to the people in the temple. It doesn't actually say that. But back there, it was the written word was maintained by the priests. And the prophets would usually speak out. So he probably presented this at the temple uh, on a Sabbath, which would have been a Saturday. And it's about God's heart to the people to call them to a new relationship. Okay, so in chapter 1, it talks about how he loves Jacob, Israel, and his descendants. Now he picked that instead of Esau. Esau was a self-serving man. He sold his birthright, his relationships, for a meal. And so God did not like him. God hated him. And he talks about that in his, in his message. You are a chosen people. You are special to me. And this is something you need to, to recognize and to celebrate. Because I could have chosen Esau, but I didn't. I chose you. And I'm angry with Esau because of the choices that he made. Then God talks about honoring. You honor your father. If you're a servant, you honor your master. But then he challenges the people and says, Gee, people, where's your honor of me? And they were doing something physically that was rather interesting because they were going through the ritual, going through the practice of going to the temple, asking for forgiveness for the various sins and the sacrifices. Now, what those were really supposed to represent 
is a, a contrite heart, a, a repentant heart about what they did, and to give to God a sacrifice that represented that. Well, God's expectation on that was a right heart in doing that, because otherwise, what's the point? Right? So, they were bringing blind and lame and crippled animals with disease, because they were bringing what they didn't really want anyway. And the challenge there was also the priests were allowing them to do that. And God was calling them to account on that. Now, we get to chapter 2, 1 through 9. These are bold statements that Malachi is going to make. And I'm going to ask you to, uh, to do something here. Now, I'm actually going to ask you to close your eyes in church. Now, I know there's a temptation here to go to sleep, but I'm going to be watching. Well, that's wait. I can't tell if your eyes are closed or you're sleeping or not. Now, the point here is I want you to visualize Malachi at the temple. I want you to visualize yourselves at the temple with your friends and your neighbors. It's a great social gathering that was centered around the worship the rituals. It's supposed to be centered around the relationship that they had, that special relationship they had with Jehovah, Yahweh. And Malachi speaks out. So as he speaks out, people know that he's a prophet and they're going to they're gonna be quiet. There's going to be a hush across the crowd. And this is what he says. Uh, we talked about chapter 1. Now Malachi continues speaking. Change the slide, please. There we go. Now, this command is for you, priests. If you don't listen, and if you don't choose to give honor to my name, says the Lord of the heavenly armies, then I will curse both you and your blessings. I've even cursed them already because none of you are taking it to heart. Whoa. I'm sure that there was a quite profound quiet over the temple at that. And we're going to continue with what Malachi said here in a minute. That first phrase... A key part of it was taking it to heart. What is God trying to get to there? Taking what to heart? They weren't taking their relationship with God to heart and what they were doing. They were going through the ritual of that present of that presentation, that, that part of where they're presenting God to the people. And they had cheapened it. They had cheapened it because of what they talked about in chapter 1 by allowing lame, crippled, blind, diseased animals to be sacrificed. They weren't holding the people accountable to the heart, the heart of what was behind God. Now, if, if all they had was one animal and it was diseased, God doesn't have a problem with that because it was the best they had. But that's what, what they were doing. And small community, I'm sure the priests knew what was behind 
what the people were doing. So what happens when you do that? You cheapen God. You cheapen your relationship. You compromise. The people knew that the priests knew, but they winked and let them do it. Why? What were they getting out of it? Why would they, why would they do that? When you think about what are the what were the blessings of the priests? Now the priests were in a special position with God. If you think about the Old Testament and the New Testament, you've got to think about like the Holy Spirit is in us. We have a direct connection with God. But in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was not resident in the people until Christ died on the cross. So the priest represented that relationship between the people and God to, to present the Word, to present wisdom, to, to present guidance. And they didn't do that. They were giving them what? What they wanted to hear. They give them a wink and a nod at times. Why? Payback later? Agreement? Comfort? You see, they were in, they were the leaders in the worship and in the teaching. The announcement of God, forgiveness, and atonement for sin. Eating the holy offerings. Having the respect of the people which is powerful, because with that comes responsibility, but with that comes that, that power. It was a life of privilege. They got to live either in the sanctuary or in holy, separate priest townships. And what God said is, I will remove those. I will remove those. All right. So if people fail sin or fail to do what God wants them to do in worship and service, they don't get to glorify God. They cheapen the relationship. So when people see that, what happens? I want to give you an example. Now, this is one you've probably all heard before. But when we leave church, now this comes out of people who wait tables at restaurants and a lot of them really do not like Sunday after 12. And here's the reason why. Well, a lot of us go to restaurants and eat after we get through uh, going to church, right? And so then we, we, we're not happy with the food. We're kind of argument, argue a little bit with a waiter or waitress. When it comes time to give a tip, we're cheapskates. Or we might do something terrible like, you know, Find Jesus on the, on the ticket instead of a, 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 an amount. Because we're asked to be a blessing. Because we cheapen what it is we're supposed to do. So it's, it's something that if we have that right relationship with him, and we're honoring him in what we do and say and believe, it shows in everything we do. And it comes through. So, if you wonder how this really might apply to you, First um, uh, Peter two nine kind of uh, says a, a, a real good uh, passage. It's referring to us Christians, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for possession, so that you might speak of the praises of Him who has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. 
The beauty of the cross is that because we all have that direct relationship, we are all called to be administers of the word by example and showing. There we go. And then the next uh, slide, uh, we have Matthew uh, 14 and 16, where we are the light of the world, like Christ. Uh, You're the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Your light so shines before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So, Malachi was is calling the priests to, in terms of, I, I believe, an identity crisis. They saw their role. They saw their purpose. They saw what they were supposed to do, and they probably thought they were doing right. What they didn't see was their relationship with God that drove that. Because if they had of, they wouldn't have been able to do what they were doing. They would not have been in a position to be called out for their behavior. And, and likewise, I think we, we can struggle with our identity. I've preached on this before a long time ago. But what changes our lives is who we really believe and know we are. So if you really see yourself as a child of the living God, transformed, made anew, and you're you're making decisions or doing things, you're going to do it different than if you see yourself just as a Christian, which is very similar. I'm going to give you some of these. There's a whole bunch of these in the Bible, in the New Testament. I'm just going to read off a few of them that, that really strike me. I'm, uh, these are statements made about who we are in Christ. I am, a cho- I am chosen of God, holy and dearly loved. Corinthians 3.12 and 1 Thessalonians 1.4 I'm a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5.13 I am a son of God and one in Christ. Galatians 3.26 I'm an alien and stranger in this world in which I temporarily live. 1 Peter 2.11 You can see the theme behind these. is It's that relationship with God and how that relationship and understanding and belief then drives our actions. I am joint heir with Christ, sharing his inheritance with him. An expression of the life of Christ because he is my life. Uh, Colossians 3.4 I am chosen and appointed by Christ to bear his fruit. His fruit was what? Ministry. Affecting and and demonstrating the love of the Father to those around him. I am reconciled to God and am a minister of reconciliation. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 and 19. (laughs) I am God's workmanship, his handiwork, born anew in Christ to do his work. Another example of a ministry, Ephesians 2.10. And then I'm a partaker in Christ, I share in his life, Hebrews 3.14. So these are some of the references around why this is so important to us now. You know, Malachi was the last minor prophet 
to be recorded in the Bible before the first coming of Christ. It was about 400 years before he, he showed up. And one of the reasons that I, I love Malachi is that how close are we to the second coming? Now, none of us know the date or the time, but we know it's coming, and we know it's got to be, I believe it's fairly close. Now, what does that mean in years? I have no idea. It could be tomorrow. It could be centuries, but, but I know it's coming. All right, let's go to uh, the next slide. Now, Malachi continues to speak. Look, I'm rebuking your descendants because of you, and I'll spread waste, waste on your faces, the waste of your festival sacrifices, and you'll be carried off with it. You will know that I sent this command to you in order to continue my covenant with Levi, says the Lord of the heavenly armies. This is very strong words. He is saying, first and foremost, that he is going to put the unclean part of the animal, which was the intestines, the dung, on them. And what the sacrifices were done is they were carried outside the uh, town, outside of Jerusalem, and they were burned. And so what he is saying is, now he's, talking about, he's not talking about literally, but figuratively, they were being taken out of the town and removed. And that means putting them on the rubbish heap. And why would God do that? I mean, I think that's, a, that's the question I would ask is, okay, but he's all-powerful. He knows what's going on. Why would he do that? Because they, were, they had cheapened and removed the experiential part of the relationship with God himself by their failure to show how important that was in their own lives and how they related to the people. And again, I think that's a good word for us to think about as we relate to the world, how are we doing that? To ask ourselves that question. And why would God do this after speaking it? So unless there was a clear repentance, uh, why would he do that? Because if he called them to account and then didn't follow up, then what kind of God do we have? Because he never lies. So they should know that, right? And they're probably, if I was them, I'd be shaking. I don't know, I think they wore sandals. I'd be shaking in my sandals. I thought that was a good one. All right. All right, so we're going to continue here. Uh, Malachi uh, 2, 5 through 7. And God wants to talk about the Levites right here. And, and it's, that's an interesting point in time when you think about what's going on. So now he's, he's, he's gone after the priests for what they're doing. And now Malachi continues the speaking. He says, My covenant with him was for life and peace, and I gave the covenant to him so he would fear me. He did fear me, and he stood in my presence. He's talking about Levi. True teachings were in his mouth, and falsehood was not found on his lips. He walked with me peacefully and righteously, and he turned many from sin. For the lips of a priest should preserve knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his, from his mouth, because he's the messenger of the Lord of the heavenly armies. 
These are pretty straightforward. He was reminding everybody there about the true covenant that he had with the priests and with them and why it was important. He honored Levi for his relationship with him. And it's an indirect way of calling everybody back to that same relationship. It is very similar to the one that Christ gave in uh, John 13, 34. I'm giving you a new command to love one another just as I have loved you. You also should love one another. This is how everyone should know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Very similar. One of the things I think is important to, to recognize, too, today we have Bibles, right? We, 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 we read them at, in the mornings or at night. Uh, we take great pleasure in being able to interpret and see that for ourselves. But back there, uh, they didn't have printing presses. They had scrolls, typically of uh, uh, cured animal hide that, that they uh, laboriously copied old scrolls to the new ones. And they actually did a a very elaborate process to validate that the word didn't transform or change. They actually, uh, as I understand it, every letter in the Hebrew alphabet has a number associated with it. And they'd actually add up all the numbers across each row, and then they would then they add up all the numbers on what they copied and see if the number was the same. Because if it wasn't, they knew they made a mistake in the translation. So it was very labor-intensive. Only the very wealthy or the priests would have copies of those. So the people really had to go to them to get that direct word. So they would hear it, it on, uh, on the Sabbath. Uh, if they went to them, the priests were the keepers of those scrolls and of the writings of the prophets. So that's, that's why this whole thing uh, took place. Uh, so if you really wanted to know what God wants you to do in a given situation, they go to the priests. And what did the priests do? Well, if you lose that, that connection of identity, of who you really are, it's very easy to start using it for your own benefit. Right? So you, so you, you start telling people what they want to hear because they're friends. Or for special compensation or, or consideration for sin. You let them off easy with less payment or less sacrifice. And why does this happen? And I think a good way to look at that is, you know, what, 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 one of the things that comes, comes with a role like that is power. Right? You have a special position or role, so you end up with Financial power, political power. And I can't help but think a little bit of the Pharisees in Jesus' time and how that whole process drove the, Israel, uh, uh, the, the uh, Israelis and how they related to the world around them and how they feared and hated Jesus because it infringed on their control of what? Their command over the people and their fi own financial gain. So, if you're doing this for yourself, one of the things that you have to recognize is you certainly can't do it for God's, right? You can't, 
You can't do God's justice and do your own at the same time. It's one or the other. Okay, let's go on to the next uh, Malachi 8-9. Now Malachi continues to speak. But you priests, turn aside from the way, and by your teachings you cause many to stumble. You have violated the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of the heavenly armies. So I also made you despised, humiliating you before all the people, because you aren't following my ways and are showing partiality when you teach. So a direct comparison to what God felt about Levi. And he was humiliating them in front of all the people right there when he spoke the word to to them. And think about it, misdirecting the people. Now, one of the things that the Bible talks about each of us is that we're supposed to study the Word. We're supposed to delve into it, and there's a, there's a, a very important reason why. It's, it's really twofold. The first one is so we know what God says for ourselves. So when we hear something that doesn't make sense, we can go, wait a minute. Is that right? Because we're supposed to question because God holds us accountable for our own relationship. And secondly, if we hear something, we feel that God is telling us to do something, that something should line up with what God has already told us about in, in the Bible. And, and, and the thing about the Bible, too, is, is that it's, it's a great roadmap to what God's character is, which is something that I really pay attention to. Uh, the character of love and patience and kindness, the character of 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 uh, relationship, always doing what is good for us, uh, supporting us through trials and tribulations, because we need those. We need trials and tribulations because it affects our character. It causes us to either get closer to Him or not. But that's the challenge that comes with it. Because we get to live a, a, I mean, when you're a Christian, this is the worst it's ever going to get. And if you're not a Christian, this is the best it's ever going to get. So if there are any of you out there that don't know Jesus, please come see me or Martin after the service. Because um, you really want to be right with him. Okay, um, Okay. so it's here, also I spite here. Okay, so by, kind of a recap, by misdirecting the people, you cause them to sin because they don't understand. They're not reading the word for themselves. They're really relying on the priest to do that. Okay. Let's talk about um, justice here for a minute, too. They were showing partiality, and that's a true sign of, of a problem. I'll give you an example. You're talking to a friend, and that friend is doing something wrong. What do you tell them? Is it okay? Because if you do that, and you don't talk to them through love, but talk to them about what, what the expectation is, you're doing exactly what the priests were doing, right? You, you, you're being partial because you have a relationship with them. It's easier to be 
sometimes blunt with people you don't know. Uh, Deuteronomy 16, 19 says, You must not twist justice, show favoritism, or take bribes, because a bribe blinds the eye of the wise and subverts the speech of the righteous. It, it compromises you. It compromises you with them, and it compromises God's Word. All right. One of the things that I talked about at the beginning of this that I do that I love about preaching, and actually the thing I love about preaching is when I'm through, but, uh, but I'm not quite there yet. <laughs> uh, is as, I put, as I put it together, I'm always asking myself questions. How does this relate to me? Here's some of the questions that I ask myself. And I have to be honest, some of the answers I got back were less than admirable. Um, so I'm going to go through these. I'm going to go through them slowly, and I want you to I want you to think about them. And then at the end, I'm going to I'm going to ask you know, I'm going to ask a question. I'll, I will provide the first answer, and if others would like to share, that would be great. All right. So one of the first question was, why do I come to church? Now I do come because I love seeing you all. I love my friends. I love the chat. I love everything about it. I can't, my wife will attest, man, a day that I don't go to church is a rare, a rare commodity indeed. But is there anything wrong with that? No, there's nothing wrong with that. But what's my first love? Then I have to ask myself that question. Is my first love God? And I come to church to celebrate that with others? Or is my first love church? And there's a difference. And sometimes it's been church. There's one that, that caused me to come up short. Do I expect God to interact with me today? You know, the funny thing is, is that when I expect him to, every day he does. I see it. I see it in little things. Sometimes I see it in big things. But when I don't expect it, I actually believe you probably still interact with me. I just don't see it. And what it does is it damages my relationship with him because I can't take pleasure in his goodness. And next one. Do I ask for prayer because that's what I'm supposed to do? Ouch. <laughs> do I really expect God to answer? I've done that one. I know I've done that one. I asked for it because it was, it was what I'm supposed to do, right? Uh, when I'm in a trial of all kinds, do I ask God what he's trying to teach me, or do I ask God to take it away? Because when we're in trial, he's, he's, his purpose is to refine our character. Now, something you, most of you won't, would not know is that this last year I spent six months living in a chair. I uh, herniated a disc in my back, and uh, when it went out, I spent three months in a recliner. I couldn't, I literally couldn't do anything except hobble to the bathroom and to the table to eat and to church, because I love church. But it was, it was very, very miserable. I really couldn't do anything. Then I got better, and for two months, I consistently got better to where I was pretty much back to normal, 
And then it happened again, and I was down for another three months. And I got prayer for that, which made a difference. But God didn't choose to heal it. Not directly. He did indirectly. And so then I have to ask the question, why? Well, I don't know why. But I did learn something out of it. I learned patience. Uh, I learned to connect with him even though I was not comfortable. I was in a lot of misery, a lot of pain. It was important to do that, but it, but it changed me for the better. I think that was the whole purpose. Is my relationship with him a walk of faith or of convenience? Now, if all your friends are Christians, that could get a little muddy, right? Um, something to think about. Do I seek God's direction before acting on my situation? That's a, that's a tough one. Because there's lots of times where it's easy to go, I'm going to do, name it. But, and that's okay. But God wants to be involved. Did I ask him? Did I talk to him about it first? Uh, do I live my life understanding my place in God's family? We are his beloved children. He died for us. He's asking us in that relationship to be considerate and loving and patient and kind to others. To treat others as if we were Christ. And that, I, uh, I've struggled on that one on a number of occasions and have uh, fallen way short. Um, but God's teaching me. Oh, here's another one. Is my faith active today? Or is it passive? So am I actively pursuing Him? Am I actually pushing myself out to interact with, with the Heavenly Father through Jesus and the Holy Spirit? And do I live in the past or am I in the current? So all of my miracles, or all of my relationship statements, are they something that happened a year, two, three years ago? Or is something that happened yesterday or last week? So one of the reasons why I love to preach, besides when it's over, is that sense of really connecting because it causes me to really ask questions like that and really seek God's answer. So I found myself praying a number of evenings this, this uh, last week at night pushing into him and saying, wow, Lord, I fell short. Forgive me for this. Forgive me for that. Um, and the beauty of it is, is that we have his forgiveness. That isn't, that's the, the fantastic side of that relationship. And you feel that, and I, and I really felt that connection. And that's why it's fun to do this. So, Other things that you, I'm, I see I'm out of time, so I'm only going to look for one or two of you to, to answer this. Um, what do you do to reconnect? Anybody want to volunteer? Got a mic up here somewhere? Got one? I find uh, we live on a 
out a uh, road called Terrace Drive. It connects to 20, uh, 25th Street. Well, it's kind of a blind uh, 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 area, and so I have to pray every blooming day when I go out there, Lord, don't let anybody come zooming up 25th. And uh, I ask in his name, and it seems to work very well. And uh, anyway, you got to stay connected, I guess. Okay. Thank you. Yeah, he cares. Thank you. Amen. Anyone else? Uh, over here, Martin, left. Barbara. <laughs> Hi, Martin. So um, one of the things that I find for me is it's really easy to get distracted by the daily activities of life, work, home, whatever. Um, And I have recently rediscovered my love for worship, just in um, worship songs, and I'll put the iPod on, turn it up loud, whether I'm cooking or whatever, and I find that that really helps lead me not only back to the throne, but also to a desire to take some time in prayer and to take some time doing the studies that I need to do and so on. So for me, it's it's worship and um, just appreciating the words of the songs oftentimes. Yeah, thank you. One more. Um, I'll spend time remembering what Jesus did, what he did on the cross. Um, That in combination with who I know I am is amazing, that he would give that kind of a sacrifice, that a perfect holy God would reach down and meet a sinner and do what he did, and remembering that and praising him for all his character traits, you know, his obviously his sacrifice, um, his overwhelming love, his consistency, all those things. By the time I'm done with that for a few minutes, nothing else really seems to matter at that time. Thank you. All right. Well, I see I'm way over now. So I'm going to close in prayer. Okay. Well, thank you, Lord, for your word and your relationship with us through your son, Jesus. We are a blessed people through Christ, our Savior. I pray a blessing over this congregation, over your people, and thank you for being with us in all we do, all we see, all we say, and who we are. Amen.